Well, 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 welcome, my friends, once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 281, and man, it has been not just a hot minute since we've been together, it's been like a hot month since we've been together. So the last time we met, it wasn't football season yet, now we're into four weeks of football season, last time we met, it wasn't hockey season, we're in the preseason, crack and drop the puck for the first time officially coming next week, October 10th, which is very cool. Last time we were together, it was summer in the Pacific Northwest, now it is firmly fall in the Pacific Northwest, and that means... It's been a while. So yeah, it's been literally like four weeks since I've dropped a podcast. That's like the second biggest span of time ever since 2017 when this thing first rolled out. And to just be really open with you, it's been just life has been busy. And uh, I would say even in my own kind of mental, emotional inner space, uh, things have been uniquely kind of heavy and challenging and lots of plates spinning and everything else. And, and so for me, just like coming into the podcast, because so much of what this is, is like more exposure to kind of my interior. It's more of a free form kind of like just a riffing kind of model. Uh, and we got all kinds of stuff packed in there. There's like this, oh man, do I really feel like going? Going in and doing a podcast right now, and what would I do it on, and how many things would I misspeak in the process, and everything else. And so I'm like, I'm just going to wait till I know I'm ready to kind of come back at it and and give it some good oomph, have some energy behind it, have some positivity behind it as well. Even though we might be dealing with stuff that seems like it's less than positive, or just highlights some of the combativeness within Christianity, as we're all trying to figure out how do we do this thing, like how do we live out the ideals and authentic values of this. Jesus figure that we follow, and how do we do that in a space where increasingly it's just hard to figure out what is, quote, the right thing to do, right? Because I think that's the pinch that I feel. I'm sure that's the pinch that you feel as well, uh, because you have this cacophony of voices saying, this is true Christianity. No, this is true Christianity. You're only faithful if you think and believe this way. No, you're only faithful if you think and believe that way. And then we're all kind of caught in the center of the crossfire uh, trying to figure out the best way to do this. And then you add in the political element where we have a very feisty left and right. In fact, even this week, uh, Speaker McCarthy was ousted by a faction of the Republican Party that's kind of very, very hyper-conservative in a certain vein of that. Uh, And they rallied with the Democrats to oust him. And so you're just like, man, when teams can't even get along and they're, they're chucking their dude that's like in charge of stuff because... He's not doing what they want. You're like, you know, the world is crazy, right? It's just crazy. And I know also, because I see it so often, we as Christians get put in this place that part of our theology, if you will, or our orthodoxy is our politics. And like, if you don't kind of align with certain politics, then you're not aligning with Christian orthodoxy as though Jesus cared about American politics 2000 years after he walked the planet. But, but we've made that a part of our orthodoxy too. And I've run into that many times where I tend to say things or believe things or support things that don't seem to align with what would be considered conservative political values. And then it's like, are you a Christian? Because all Christians believe this. I'm like, this ain't even a Christian thing. This is just purely an American thing. In fact, down the road, I hope to do a podcast that is Christian Americans versus American Christians. Right, because there's kind of a difference in my mind between you know whatever word you put first is the dominating factor. So if you're an American Christian, American comes before Christian. American values will kind of trump the Christian values, or you're trying to jam Christian values underneath or be subservient to American values. Where a person that's a Christian who's also an American, it's like, hey man, love my country, love my neighbors, love my people, but I realize that this is a global faith with 
far greater ramifications that every kingdom on earth is Babylon. The only kingdom that isn't Babylon is Christ's kingdom that lives inside every other earthly kingdom and hopefully brings transformation to those earthly kingdoms, makes them more like the kingdom of Christ, less like the kingdom of the world. That will be a podcast at some point. I don't know when, but that's when I'm kind of kicking around a little bit, so you can stay tuned for that. But today I want to deal with something that I've kind of been reading over the last week and a half, and it kind of fits with some of the themes that we're going through in the summer. Certainly, I, I was spending a little bit more time on uh, the matters of LGBTQ+, in part because it's dear to my heart, uh, in part because I'm seeing more and more how that is a topic that is pertinent to the church, not simply at a policy level or what is going to be our position on a thing, um, but more importantly, it's becoming uh, like a grassroots reality where families are having, you know, other family members that are coming out, other family members that are getting married to persons of the same sex, persons in the family that are coming out as trans or gay or bi or asexual or any of the number of things, people that are changing pronouns, all of that's happening in real life space. People are working with those individuals, they're parenting those individuals, they're a sibling to those individuals, best friends with whatever it is, you get the idea. And so where it used to just be like this topic for debate, now it's becoming a discussion of how do we handle Thanksgiving? Uh, How do we handle an invitation to a wedding? How do we handle uh, a nephew or a niece or my best friend whose child is now trans and they're inviting us to come to the graduation party? Like, what do we do with all that? So this is truly a pastoral problem now, and it's not simply a philosophical, theological, or moral kind of question mark. It's becoming something that's just ground level, a challenge for people, and it's deeply laden with emotion, with worry, with judgment, all of that. And and so as then somebody who's written on this, who's experienced it firsthand, I'm always trying to be a voice in there of some of this and bringing that perspective to bear on it. Because what I also tend to know about human nature is if it isn't on your doorstep, it's easy to have a snap judgment, right? So if you don't have... Um, let's say a child with some type of, um, you know, uh, challenge, whether it be, uh, uh, an intellectual or, uh, philosophical or not philosophical, intellectual or psychological challenge, uh, or something that's more of a physical challenge. Or maybe if you've never had a child with down syndrome, or you've never had a child that is, uh, having to be in a wheelchair or something like that, you may not realize, like you can have kind of sympathy for that, but you don't realize all of the the challenge, the agony, the beauty, the ugly, the pain, everything involved in that. And as an outsider, you can just be like, oh, isn't it a blessing that you have this special child? And those parents, sometimes when they hear that, they go like, uh, yeah, it's a total blessing and it's a giant burden. And uh, like, sometimes I struggle with suicidal thoughts because I don't know if I can keep doing this life. And like, there's all this other stuff in there. But when you're not confronted with it. You don't have to live it. You don't really realize all the challenges within it. And it's the same thing with having a child in the LGBTQ plus arena. 90% of Christian families are not going to struggle with this topic. They're not going to wrestle with this problem. And so because of that, they can have really strong positions, right? Maybe it's either way. They can be just strong. Hey, super pro, strong, super anti. The majority are going to be more anti this topic. Um, And therefore it's just easy to be cavalier with the positions. Like even recently I wrote this thing 
on raising my son and some of the lessons learned and my failures in that process and then some of my gratitude. And there was a faction of people out there that I, I found out about, like, you know, in the social media world that was like, this guy should resign. This guy, you know, if he can't stand up for what is biblical and true and everything else. And it, it's kind of interesting when you when you process all of that, because I can kind of know, like, yeah, none of this is on your doorstep. So it's really easy to just have a very clean black white perspective on a topic like that and until it's on your doorstep and you walk in those shoes you don't know it's really like to wrestle with all of that you don't see everything from from the insider point of view you see it as an outsider point of view and that's true for me there are people that have other issues that are not my issue that I probably don't have nearly the empathy with I could have some sympathy but I don't have empathy because it's not my problem you know what I mean it's not the thing I'm faced with or I'm challenged by and so it's just easier to be like yeah good luck whatever uh so sad for you and then moving on right or I've got an opinion on that I would just do x y and z everybody knows that's the right answer and it's again very kind of superior in its orientation and it's just very philosophical because it doesn't have to demand your real life interaction with the topic and that's always going to be the challenge for all of us and so with that then this thing I've been reading about I thought I would talk about this today and uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to call this podcast. I never know what I'm going to title them until after it's done. Um, but this has been about, and for some of you, these names may not matter. I get it. So I'll try to explain it a little bit more. But it has uh, been an ongoing public relations debate or kind of a blog for blog, message for message debate between the president of the Southern Baptist Seminary, which is Al Mohler, and then the pastor of one of the largest churches in the country, Andy Stanley and North Point Church. So they have been in this ongoing for the last week and a half to two weeks, kind of lobbing cannonballs at one another kind of thing over a conference that was not hosted by Andy Stanley's church. It was um, it was an organization. It's the Unconditional Conference, uh, and they you know, asked to use space at one of the North Point campuses so they could do a conference on helping parents uh, learn to love or unconditionally love their LGBTQ plus kids. That's kind of the, the core of the conference, right? And so to understand this a little bit more, kind of understand the difference between Al Mohler and Andy Stanley. Al Mohler is... Um, both a theologian, president of a seminary, and kind of a political commentator for the evangelical community uh, and would be in a Calvinistic, reformed kind of theological model, would be what we call complementarian, so a very clear sense of there's a role for men, there's a role for women, this is what it is, women can't be deacons or pastors or, well, some churches they can be deacons maybe, <clears throat> and this SBC, I don't think they can necessarily, other uh, kind of, uh, you know, complementarian traditions they could. But women can't be elders, women can't be pastors uh, within that tradition. So that's the complementarian model. Uh, and then kind of politically, he's very conservative, was originally a never-Trumper, and then he became very much a supportive of Donald Trump kind of um, orientation to what he was doing. So has a very strong orientation toward kind of conservative politics and that. But he's never been a pastor, right? So there's a certain reality that kind of his placement is... Uh, icon, I would joke that sometimes I don't think 
uh, Protestants got rid of popes. We just diversified our popes. And Mueller would be like a pope, right? So he's never really served in that pastoral capacity. He's always been kind of in the academy or he's been in the leadership bureaucratic side of things or kind of in the executive side of Christianity. But he's not really ever had to worry about the day in, day out headaches and hassles of being a local church pastor and facing things at that level. So he's always been sort of an idea guy, so to speak. In contrast to that, Andy Stanley is a mega church pastor. Uh, he kind of has a philosophy and approach to local churches as having a, one of the biggest mega churches where this, their kind of their motto is becoming the church that unchurched people want to attend. And that motto has never sat great with me. So just to be clear, as I'm talking about this, um, you know, I, I have different disagreements with both Andy Stanley and Al Mohler. They're different for different reasons. Um, I also can appreciate them for different reasons. I might kind of weirdly enough, kind of appreciate Andy Stanley a little bit more than Al Mohler, but that's just because he's a local church pastor guy, as opposed to a guy that's already always been kind of in the religious ivory tower, which is where I put Al Mohler. I go, it's really clean there when you only live in ideas and you don't have to get in the mud with people's real problems. Andy Stanley by by nature of what he does, gets in that space a lot more. So Moeller's a th kind of a thinker and Stanley's kind of a practitioner. And I think I always look at the practitioners and go, thank you, because that's harder space to look people in the eye and deal with the stuff where Moeller just gets to write blogs and do podcasts. It's, it's just a different game, right? So anyway, uh, with Stanley, though, he's got this mega church because he said, hey, we're going to build a church based on what do unchurched people want, and we're going to kind of build it around that, which I do think that's the tail wagging the dog. If you're just, hey, what do unchurched people like? We're going to do that thing. Well, then, you know, again, that's not so much about how do you authenticate the person of Jesus and make sure that that's the driving force, but rather you're figuring out what mechanisms and levers to pull to get people to come in. And then if they like that, then you do those same things to have them stay. And that can be kind of a mess, right? At the same time, you know what? North Point has done a lot of good things, a lot of good things. They've had a lot of great ideas, great conferences. I've read a lot of Andy Stanley's books, and some of them I think are downright brilliant. I think there's some really brilliant things, especially on leadership. He gets real practical leadership at a level that's very different than a lot of other people, and so I have an appreciation for him just as much as I appreciate Moeller and how he has a real emphasis on wanting to have a robust theology and make sure you're kind of guarding the gate on that and everything else, and we're not going too far down the road of some kind of pluralism or whatever. He was a definitely a part of keeping the Southern Baptist Convention from going more liberal back in the day. Um, so they both bring good things to the table. But in this debate, the debate is about this conference and the fact that for Al Mohler, he's like, Andy Stanley's been on a trajectory a long time to just go full LGBTQ plus affirming. And this conference is just proof that this is probably where he's going to go. The train's leaving the station. The conference hadn't happened yet. Uh, up to that point, Andy Stanley's church and Andy Stanley had always had the position of, hey, we need to be more gracious. We need to be more loving. We need to interact with these communities. He said some things recently about uh, people who are from the pride community. If they're in local evangelical churches, they probably have more faith than everybody else because of the fear factor of coming in and even risking it, to which I don't disagree with him. I actually think that was a true enough statement. I think if you're LGBTQ+, and you walk into an evangelical church, you are not automatically thinking these people support me, like me, want to defend me or love me. You're not thinking that. You're like, I'm taking a giant risk coming here, but I want to interact with Jesus and I want to interact with the Bible, which may be kind of a surprise to some people listening. But the tendency is like, hey, if you're if you're of the pride community, why don't you just go join a mainline liberal church? 
And many of them will say, because you don't get real deep Bible teaching in mainline churches. And we want deep Bible teaching, even though we're practicing in the pride movement or community, but we also want to interact with Jesus and deep teaching of the Bible. And so for them, they're like, I'm trying to find a home here because in the main line, I don't get it. In the evangelical world, I do get it, but I know I'm not wanted in that world, or at least potentially not wanted in that world. So I'm taking a risk by coming and wanting to sit in that world. And and so I kind of go, I agreed with Stanley's position there. But because he had said that just a few weeks prior to this announcement of the conference, Moeller took that and said, okay, this conference – Man, this is where Andy Stanley comes out as fully affirming, and so he's not with us anymore. Let's bid him riddance. Which the unfortunate thing about that is that that's automatically slandered to me when you've already made a decision before a thing has happened. Like the book of Proverbs talks about this. I think in chapter 16, verse 13, maybe or something where uh, it's better to hear all the facts before you render a judgment. Otherwise, you're just a fool. And I I remember when I read Moeller's thing initially, I'm like, that's just fool worthy. You know, you're you're already making decisions about a thing before it's ever happened. Now, he can maybe make some like some decisions about the conference because of some of the speakers at the conference. I'll get into that in a second. But to just decide that Andy Stanley is no longer a part of the fold for something that hasn't happened yet, and he's never made a public statement contrary to him holding sort of a historic orthodox position, I'm like, this is just Moeller kind of slandering a dude right now. But unfortunately, the mass majority of the evangelical interwebs was totally on board with Al Mohler. And so it was kind of the the collective crucifixion of Andy Stanley before anything happened. So then Andy Stanley did something he never tends to do, which is he responded, right? Uh, This is just not his game because he gets all kinds of flack and crap online. Like he gets it. It just kind of goes with the territory of being the biggest dog, you know, sort of, so to speak in the yard, a big dogs get attacked by all the little dogs. And, uh, so it was just a pile on like Andy Stanley sold out. Andy Stanley's gone the way of the world. Andy Stanley's embraced the doctrines of Satan. There's this whole thing. Right. Uh, and so, uh, he responded, uh, on a Sunday morning, which is even doubly rare. And then they didn't do a live stream that Sunday so that he could speak to their people first. And then the information would come out kind of in the following days. And so that's what it was. And his point was to say, hey, listen, first of all, um, Al Mohler is a line drawer and I'm a circle drawer, right? So like you get the idea of drawing a line versus drawing a circle. Lines are about keeping people out. Circles are about trying to invite people in. And he goes, so that's part of my focus here is trying to do that. That was A. B, we didn't, quote, host this conference. We didn't put this conference on. I wasn't the lead of this conference. This was some other people that go to our church. They wanted to do the conference. He did speak at the conference, but he's like, this isn't a North Point conference. And then really kind of the other part of this was he's like, and we're trying to help legitimately families, particularly parents, learn how to navigate having an LGBTQ plus child. Because, and again, I can speak to this as a parent in an evangelical space, um, That is such a burdensome reality. Like you don't even know how burdensome it is because it's like, you know, they, uh, as a parent, you're like, do we support? Do we not support? Do we try to change our kid or do we just run with our kid? Like, what do we do with this? And, um, like they, they start to worry about, well, what about like Romans one? Because those who do these things and those who affirm those who do these things are in exactly the same space. So if, if, I don't kick my child out. Am I affirming them? Like, you know how many kids have been kicked out of their homes or ostracized from their families because the family's concerned? If I even so much as love my kid, if I in any way am supportive to my child, if they're going down that road, I'm I'm implicated in what they're doing. Therefore, I need to take action against my kid. Like, there's some real toxic stuff that is in there and families wrestle with. And so from that, 
this entity, this unconditional conference, this ministry arm that's out there, it's some kind of parachurch organization or just some foundation or whatever it is. Uh, they're like, we're trying to help parents do that. And it was started by a couple of parents with a gay child that went through the same pain that Ellen and I went through. So many other families go through that feel very alone in it. Because again, you're a minority, you're a radical minority in the local church. If you're an evangelical Christian, who do you talk to? And a lot of the people, when you talk to them, oh, they have ideas. All right. Um, they may go, oh, it's so sorry. I'm so sad. They give that pity thing, you know, like, oh, oh, so sad for you and so bad and everything else. But if it was my kid, I would do X, Y, and Z. Uh, And so these parents then feel doubly guilted, doubly shamed, doubly confused, everything else. And so they need a space to work through this stuff, discuss it, figure it out. And North Point and this organization that wanted to use North Point's facility were like, we want to help parents wrestle with that. And I think that's a really good thing. Now, here's the thing. They call this idea like going on a journey with your child. And in this, it's a it's a middle space that isn't the barking orders of either side, you know? And and I go, parents need that. They need that space to process. They need that space to ask questions. They need that space to feel safe. They need that space to be confused. They need that space. And so for me, what is kind of sad is then this gets thrust into the culture war thing again. And you have these really loud conservative Christian voices saying that's inappropriate. That's wrong. That's not authentic Christianity. That's selling out. Unfortunately, what Andy Stanley did is in the retaliation wasn't much better, which he's like, well, I don't hold to Al Mohler's version of controlling pharisaical Christianity, right? And and therefore, then it pits it more like Christianity versus Christianity. And there may be some level of like reality to that. Like, I probably agree that Al Mohler's version of Christianity to me is not is not the only version. Like, I've said this many times in the podcast, I have a very if I use Andy Stanley circles, um, Al Mohler circles, very small, uh, I would say uh, on what constitutes authentic Christianity. Uh, I would not agree with his tight, small circle. I think it's far too Western post enlightenment Calvinistic, you know, a particular way of reading the Bible that isn't even traditional to historic Christianity over 2000 years. Like his circle's just too small. I'm not saying he's not in, in my bigger circle. He is, but I just have a much bigger circle where it's like the Nicene Creed. Therefore, a lot of people fall into it and he's being too narrow. And therefore in that narrowness, uh, it, it brings extra burden and, and shame and guilt and stress on Christians that it doesn't need to necessarily. We can say, hey, we differ on these particulars, but it doesn't mean you're not Christian. But these two guys are now getting into who's a really who, – whose Christianity is real Christianity debate. I think that's kind of unfortunate, a little bit foolhardy on both sides. Um, but I appreciate what Stanley's trying to do, and I'm saddened that Al Mohler's making it sound like, therefore, even this conference and the concepts of the conference, that's not authentic to Christianity and therefore stay away from it. And for, again, a parent in that space or a family member in that space or a person who's a friend of like, I have a friend of mine whose best friend will have nothing to do with their best friend's child now because they're trans and, and they're all Christians, right? And so again, it's like the sad thing of like, you know, what's the safe space for families to go to? If you've got voices saying those aren't the safe spaces for you, because then the people that are saying like, again, this unconditional conference is not safe, not Christian, not good. Their alternatives are not helpful alternatives to families that are dealing with this or friends that are dealing with this, right? It's just not, it's just ideological alternatives, but it doesn't get into the mud and into the weeds with families or even into the weeds of LGBTQ plus people. It's kind of just like, be obedient, don't do anything, move along, you know? And it it doesn't try to accommodate, how do you, 
how do you invest into these people and love these people and make them feel a part of community when they already feel outside of the community? Like that homework assignment is not getting done nearly as well as ministries that are trying to really, again, do this in an authentic real life kind of way. So that's the big difference in all of this, right? So kind of the lines versus circles, there is some merit to that. I do think there is some line drawing on some conservative sides that doesn't give any practical help to families or people uh, where the circle drawers, I think, are doing a f- much better job of trying to create space to have those discussions uh, and and to create uh, just healing spaces for families uh, in a way that isn't there to judge them, but to kind of, hey, we're going to do this together and figure it out together. Now, what was interesting about the conference is that it sold out, which I go, that should tell us something, that it sold out. And on top of that, half of the people who signed up weren't people that have kids or family members of the pride community, but rather it was ministry leaders. Now, here's the thing I'm going to tell you Um, right now, everywhere that we're talking as a leadership team of our church, every place we reach out to, to have this discussion with those spaces are having the discussion too. And I'll tell you what, when you get out of kind of the academic simplicity and you're talking to real life pastors with real life people in their world. There is no simple, clean answer on this. Like everybody running into the same challenges and problems. And so everybody needs a safe space to be talking about this stuff and trying to process it out and not worrying about getting automatically judged or shunned or having the whistle blown and the yellow flag thrown for trying to work through this stuff, right? Like, you know, if we really love people, we'll actually authentically work it through with all of its messiness as opposed to go, oh, this is so simple. This is just so easy, right? In fact, even we're going through a study right now is leaders and we're finding how not easy this is. Not even, I mean, even a biblical kind of thing. Like this is not nearly as simple and easy as people want to make it. Not at all. And so when people just have these snap judgments, um, I think it's it's because they haven't said, we're going to do a real deep dive into understanding some of this, you know, and again, not just philosophically, not just morally, not just biologically or chemically or, you know, just according to genetics or anything else, though, those are also big conversations. Um, But then also just looking at the Bible, what it says, it is way more messy than you think, right? Depending on all the different things that you're looking at within that discussion. Like we did a study on just biblical marriage. What is biblical marriage? Uh, If you think that's an easy topic, I would challenge anybody to go and look at every command Uh, that pertains to marriage in the Old and New Testament. Just look at every single one of them. There's like 11 in the Old Testament that are like commands prescribed. This is what you do regarding marriage. And then there's a handful in the New Testament. And just look at those and you'll realize that this is not nearly as simple as I thought it was, right? So that's just a little like, hey, go do that for fun. It's an interesting study. Um, And so life is messy. The Bible's messy. And all of that kind of comes out in this kind of stuff here too. So um, I'm saddened that then people trying to wrestle with this are getting kind of ostracized or condemned as uh, non-Christian because they're trying to wrestle with it. Now, in the scope of full disclosure, part of the thing that got the conference a little bit in hot water is that there was two individuals that were speaking that are both in same-sex marriage. I think it was two men that were speaking. Uh, and so they were a part of the conference. And so this is where part of the, the, the anti-conference people are like, see, you're taking counsel from people that claim to be Christian, but they're also in same-sex marriages and you can't accept that. And I, I kind of, I, I, I have, here's why I have the problem with shunning the conference or, or attacking the conference because they invited people in that space. I go back to what is it that those people were sharing at the conference? Right, less that they are in same-sex marriages. Like, if you just judge it at that point, you didn't slow down to go. What was it that they were wanting to talk about? Because my understanding of what they're wanting to talk about, I'm eager to finally get access to this conference someday. 
But my understanding is that they were talking about their experience as being raised in Christian homes when they came out as gay and the impact that that had on them. And that is very valuable for families that are in this space. That is incredibly valuable for families in that space. Because again, having been a person that messed it up myself, that handled it wrongly, I wish I could have sat down with somebody that said, Matt, listen, my parents did this with me. And can I tell you how much this broke me, damaged me, messed me up, created a whole new set of burdens on top of the burdens I already had? Like, I so think that's a valuable conversation. So to condemn that is really unfortunate because, again, you know, if there's anything I've learned about reading the Bible is that wisdom comes from all sorts of different sources. And especially when you look at the Old Testament, it's amazing. Some of the greatest, most profound sources of wisdom are not coming from the prophets of Israel sometimes, right? They're coming from other sources. And you know, this is where, again, we have to kind of realize that, hey, listen, even Paul, when he's on Mars Hill, is like quoting their philosophers, quoting their historians, using one of their their altars to an unknown God, which borderlines idolatry as a tool, you know. And yet he's able to use these other resources to bring a greater sense of knowledge or wisdom to something. And honestly, I go, that was brilliant to invite these guys in to share those stories to help these parents know how to not make the same mistakes. Genius, all right? The other person that they invited is a guy named David Gushy, who is uh, pr- probably the premier evangelical ethicist. Uh, that's his specialty, Christian ethics in the modern world, written some brilliant books on ethics and Christian ethics, and in the last few years has become a, a, an LGBTQ plus affirming Christian. So he was not for a long, long period of time. He has since become affirming, wrote a book on that, and so they add him as a speaker too. And again, you could debate whether that's healthy or unhealthy, but again, I think his presence there was just to be a different voice because you got to remember there's going to be parents on a spectrum in this. And there's going to be some parents that say, you know what, we're never going to cross the affirming line. And there's other parents that are going to cross the affirming line. And they're told if you cross the affirming line, you cannot in any way be Christian anymore. And so I think the voice says, you can still be Christian and be affirming. I think they wanted that in there because, again, they're trying to keep people staying with the Christian faith so that they still kind of stay informed by the Christian faith. So they're still connected to the Christian faith. And therefore, the Holy Spirit can still guide, move, work in their lives in all sorts of different ways. Like that's part of the heart of that whole thing. Now, I understand where... Moeller and company would be like, nope, you're just inviting a false whatever into your church. And I go, not a church. It's a conference. That's kind of part of it. Um, we all know churches aren't buildings. Churches are people. This wasn't a church conference. This wasn't a North Point community of people conference. Um, but to have Gushy's voice in there and how he went through that process and how he worked through some of those things. Again, I, I go, I think there's it, there's more added value than things taken away in that space. Whether you agree with him or not, I think, again, he's just bringing certain things to bear on that conversation as well, right? As much as there are people, like the thing that gets forgotten is that there are people in that conference, including the people that run the conference, that still hold to a orthodox view. So they haven't gone down Gushy's road. They still hold to this kind of historic position. And yet they're wanting to help families love their kids in that space. I mean, I, I think just the fact that it was like, can we bring honest, sincere, authentic, caring voices to this whole thing to just try to figure it out together? 
I think that's a healthy thing. I mean, even if for a minute I just kind of defaulted to my American ideals, I go, that's an American sounding thing. Like, hey, we're going to be a kind of a, we're going to bring different voices to the table and we're going to reason together and we're going to try to figure this stuff out and that's okay to do that and everything else. And so it's saddening to me to then see how this gets politicized, this gets turned into black and white, this gets turned into there's no middle space to talk, there's no third way to figure. It's either fully this or fully that or you don't count. And that was the thing that grieved me most about probably how this whole debate is unfolded, you know? And so this is where, again, I think we as Christians can do better to be like, hey, man, how can I really love my neighbor? Because it still comes down to that for me. How can I love my neighbor? And in this space, it's how can I love my radical minority neighbor? Because the radical minority within the church space is people who have people that they love that are connected with the pride community. And they're facing all kinds of practical questions like I raised at the beginning, right? Do I go to my gay son's wedding? Do I do I just support or do I fight my 12-year-old child that thinks that they're trans? Uh, you know, what, you know what, what is the right way and wrong way to coach them as they move forward? What is the thing that could damage them, make them suicidal, make them drug or alcohol, you know, dependent or addicted? Uh, what are things that may cause harming, whether it be burning or cutting? Like all these things are true to that community because they so feel rejected so much of the time. And they're already working through their own stuff internally and we could just do so much more damage. And so- Again, we need to figure out how can I love those families, those people, and those spaces and do it in such a way that um, gives some bandwidth to wrestle and to figure and to question even. Like I, I think all of that is is okay to have within that space. And then also I think for those who are not affected by this at all, like it's not your kid, it's not your grandkid, it's not your nephew or niece or whatever it is, it's not your best friend's kid, that kind of thing. Um, being more an advocate for those spaces and an advocate for those opportunities for, for those families to wrestle, almost being like the the guard of a club, you know, you're like the bouncer of the club. So you don't have to go into the club and party, right? You're the bouncer kind of guarding the gate. This is, listen, let these people work through this, right? Because they got a lot to work through in this. And, and, and if anything, it, you know, just love them as they're trying to work through this, you know, understand them, pray for them as they're trying to work through this. And don't add to the fuel of the fire of the social crazy that's going on, right? Like something that I've seen the reemergence of that I thought kind of died off and it's come back again is this notion of the gay agenda. And there's a couple of people I'm interacting with right now where I'm, I, I need to have the, the follow-up of, so what is the agenda exactly? Like, Because I hear this and I think the agenda is to gayify everything or the agenda is to transify everything. Like, like they believe that that community, their number one agenda is that everybody would be gay, everybody would be trans, nobody would be straight again. Like I, that they would take over every quadrant of society and everything would just be gay, you know? Uh, and, and I think that's what's thought, but that's, that's, Again, having a gay kid, interacting with people in that community, never once met a person that said, our agenda is that everybody would be non-straight. Their agenda is pretty much just, we just want to be accepted. We want to feel safe. We want equality, equal protection under the law. That's all we want, you know? And so that's their, that's, if if there's any agenda, they just want to be treated like normal people. That's kind of their agenda. Uh, And I know some people will say, well, but they're always like shoving the rainbow and they're pushing this and they're pushing that. Well, because right now they are marginalized. Right now they do not have equal protection under the law. Right now they are not treated as just regular American folks. They're clearly, there is a battle within society 
the culture is very divided over the topic and and therefore they they feel the pressure of that you know for every kid that comes out and we go they're celebrated but they're also vilified by half the culture too like we have to kind of keep that in mind that there is a good chunk of the society that looks at a trans person with disdain and that person that's trans that kid that comes out as trans knows that there is a disdain for them that isn't the same as if a kid comes out as i don't know a tackle in football you know it's like everybody oh cool he's a tackle that's awesome that's great they're, they're a runner a long distance runner that's awesome anybody that comes out as an athlete doesn't come out to anything other than notoriety and everybody's like that's great that's good for them they love that person that comes out as trans man that's rough person comes out as a trans athlete that's even harder right and so they know that there is a large swath of people that just don't accept them that's a lot of pressure right that's a lot that's a lot of hurt that's going to be added into their life. And therefore, like I said, because it's already such a cultural debate uh, for us who are Christ's church, uh, we need to do it kind of different and create room for people to to wrestle and not feel disdained in the process of that and certainly for their families as well which again that's probably my great calling in life now i've realized is the families is the kids and the families that's the place i really have a passion uh because again having walked through it and lived it i understand all of that right so this is where again we as everyday missionaries then kind of our job becomes a little unique. This isn't simply about um, going and sharing Jesus with people that don't know Jesus. This is trying to be like Jesus and act like Jesus in smaller pockets that may not affect us directly, but is affecting people we love directly. And we want to love them as they're trying to love those in their space as they all wrestle together on this. And so, you know, as I think about Moeller versus Stanley. It's not that I really side with one versus the other in every way. I think both of them kind of misstep some things I do certainly appreciate what Stanley's trying to do more than what Moeller's trying to do because what Moeller's doing is clean and easy and simple, honestly. Like, I'm an idea guy, right? Like, again, I'm a philosopher and I'm a Bible scholar. Those are idea guys, right? I love to just dwell on ideas. Um, What's really, really hard is implement implementing hard ideas in practical ways and in real life circumstances to look a person in the eye and coach them through anything in life is way harder. And that's where kind of Stanley, I go, I'm going to give you credit on this one, man. You're really trying to work this through. And then I'm saddened that in the process of that, you're getting vilified by a lot of people because most of those people don't have to deal with this problem. Not really. And certainly not in their own life. And that's always the thing that, that, that to me that I go like, we have to think in terms of kind of what the Bible always pushes, which is that marginalized group. The Bible cares about the marginalized. The the Bible cares about those who are on the fringe of a thing. And if there's any fringe of a thing within the church context, this is the topic. And this is where we have to just get better at saying, we're going to rally. We're going to protect. We're going to love. We're going to ponder. We're going to journey. We're going to care. We're going to pray. We're going to actually give a rip about other people's shoes. And I want to get in those as much as possible to get it. And then in that, we always want to be building bridges more than closing doors. We want to be making sure that it is about circles more than it is about lines. This is why I agree. There's something to that. It's easy to draw lines. You can be callous and draw a line, but boy, it takes a lot of self-giving and self-sacrifice to draw circles and invite people into those circles. But I believe the more we do that and the more we care about those things, the more we will be effective everyday missionaries.